such a pleasure to be here uh, and such a blessing to be here this morning. You know, when I, when I was a kid, I used to think the greatest thing in the world would be to uh, play in a Super Bowl or a, a national football championship in college. And you come to think about it, we're living the dream. We get our Super Bowls every Sunday. Actually, it should be every day. But we get to come here and worship God in spirit and in truth and enjoy the fellowship that we have with one another. What a blessing it is. Uh, I hope you get to meet my wife, Shannon. She's uh, kind of become, since our kids have graduated uh, high school, she's become somewhat of a road, road warrior traveling, and I've, I've really enjoyed having her along on meetings and, and uh, working with the church, and, and she helps quite a bit, so she would love to meet you all if you all get a chance. Um, I want to speak for a little while this morning about commitment. And, you know, relationships do not, uh, do not work without commitment. Marriages do not work without commitment. Friendships do not work without commitment. We, we are not the uh, type of employees we need to be unless we're committed to our jobs. And, and likewise, and more importantly, much more importantly, uh, without commitment, we cannot be the types of children of God that we should be. So I wanted to spend some time on that this morning, and, and I'm glad that uh, I recognize a lot of you, and I know you're radicals, and I like speaking to radicals, because some of the things that we're going to speak about are, are sometimes difficult subjects to, to talk about, uh, but you know, uh, if we can't talk about them uh, with the Word of God, I mean, what's the point? Uh, this study, like uh, every study that I put together, is for me. For me first. It's a teachable thing for me. And usually when I give this particular sermon, I wear steel-toed boots because I step on my own toes. So don't feel like the Lone Ranger if you feel like you've been stepped on a little bit. I was coming back from uh, Lubbock, Texas a few years ago, and I was traveling with uh, Brother Sean Zebach at the time. I was training underneath him, uh, trying to uh, learn the work. And um, he had gone up there to give an a, uh, update, a report on Nigeria to the congregation in Lubbock. And uh, we were coming home, and it was probably about 1 o'clock in the morning. We're driving through the canyons, and uh, he begins to, meet, to tell me a story about uh, Justin Springer. And many of you knew, knew Justin. And uh, for those of you who don't, I'll give you a quick, kind of a quick, quick biography. It won't do him justice, but, you know, Justin was a, he was a big man. Physically, he was a big man, you know. Uh, I don't know, 6'4", 300 and some odd pounds. And uh, Anyway, he was, uh, had talent uh, athletically. He was, uh, had a full scholarship to Oklahoma State. Uh, funny thing about that was when he was recruited, the coach told him that uh, he would be able to attend Sunday night services and Wednesday night services. But 
uh, when the rubber hit the road, that was not the fact. He had films that he, had, he was required to attend and weightlifting sessions and these different type of things that have to do with college football. And you know, uh, what he did is he quit football <laughs> because he wanted to serve the Lord, okay? And that made an impression upon me uh, that he was willing to sacrifice, at the very least, a seventy-five, $85,000 scholarship to serve the Lord and possibly much greater uh, earthly benefits uh, to come. He, he, just, he wanted to serve the Lord. Well, you know, when Justin uh, became a full-time evangelist, he worked in Africa. I believe he went to India a couple of times. I'm not, no, no. But he was in Africa, Africa quite a bit. Uh, had a big hand in that. Uh, was an evangelist here in America. Uh, faithful servant. When he uh, was in his... 40s, he found out that he had cancer, a very aggressive form of cancer. And as he grew, uh, time grew short, and he knew he was going to uh, leave his family. He was going to leave his church family behind uh, for a little while. He was going to leave his wife and children behind. Sean said that uh, he got to speak to Justin they're very near the end. And you know what Justin told him? He said, I've bet it all on Christ. I've bet it all on him. I'm all in. And I'm going to tell you something. When I got home from that trip and hearing that story related to me, related to me, I lost sleep over that. I lost sleep over that. Because I thought, can I say that? Can I say that I'm all in? that I'm totally committed to Christ. So I kind of put this study together uh, as an examining tool for myself. Matthew chapter 22 and 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. He didn't say part of it. He said all of it. And, and, and I, sometimes when we study with people about commitment and discipleship, uh, the comments are made that, man, I've got a family. I've got a job. I've got commitments. I don't know if I can be a Christian. But the fact of the matter is, is you, we can't be. We cannot be the types of husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and employees, unless we have God. Because he makes us all that we can be. That commitment, that's what that does. And, uh, you know, you guys that, and, and, uh, that put these studies together and these lessons, you know that sometimes we get off on rabbit trails. I'm only going to take you down one today. <laughs> when I was studying this, I got to thinking about deathbed conversions. And I started Googling all this stuff and looking up these different people that had supposedly converted on their deathbed. And I'm talking about famous scientists, actors, music, musicians, entertainers, uh, people you would recognize. And you know, 
that almost every instance of a deathbed conversion that they asked why did you do that before the person passed they said just in case just in case now we're not here to judge their souls that's not what I'm saying but I ask you is that is that all in is that being committed I was uh, 22 years old and I was just a couple of weeks away from realizing my earthly dream of uh, going to NFL rookie camp, okay? Guy ran a yield sign, clipped my truck, flipped it three times, rolled it three times, ejected me through the windshield. And I'm gonna tell you, I did not think about a foolish game that I love to play. I didn't think about my family. I didn't think about the things I enjoyed on this earth. You know, they say your whole life flashes before you when you think you're going to die. I'm going to tell you, I just had a split second or two. As I was in the air, seeing, seeing this truck roll underneath me, I knew I was going to die. You know what I thought? Dear God, please forgive me of my sins. <laughs> That's what I forgot. That's what I... That, that was the thought that ran through my head because I knew that I hadn't been living right, okay? That's why. Living under the misconception that I could enjoy the few things that I enjoyed in life that were not according to God's will, as long as I could go to God in prayer the evening before I went to sleep and say, Dear God, please forgive me. Or the moment before death, saying, Dear God, please forgive me. Saying those prayers knowing that I was fully committed to continuing to do those things, you see? Not turning from them. And I'm as sure today as I was that moment that if I would have passed in that wheat field, it would have not gone good for my soul. Man, I was happy to wake up in that wheat field and not be dead because I had a different, uh, another chance. Commitment, being all in. The world has a term, stockbrokers and people that, that do investments will notice or will recognize this term, hedging the future. It's a definition of where you balance risk. It's a risk management strategy used to limit or offset probability of loss to protect yourself against loss by supporting more than one outcome. In other words, don't put all your money in coke. Diversify. That way, if one stock crashes, it doesn't ruin you. You see, God's not like that. He is not like that. We cannot be Christians and hedge our future, okay? He demands, demands total commitment. A couple of examples were given in Scripture, and many of you will be familiar with the uh, rich young ruler, a lot of people call him the rich young man. Colossians 3 and 17, uh, excuse me, Colossians 3 and 17, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father by him. All. Do all in the name of the Lord. 
here we are at the rich young man. Matthew chapter 19. Now this is Jesus giving this example. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, the, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Guys, pretty good guy. Okay? A lot better than I've been in many, many, many times. <clears throat> Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when that, the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowfully, for he had great possessions. You see, he gave up a bunch for the Lord. He gave up a bunch. But he held on to that one thing. He held on to that one thing. He had the opportunity to walk with the Lord. And I don't know about you, but these, these stories kind of, man, they, they bother me. It's kind of like, do you ever wonder if that rich young man turned it around and realized what he had done and came back to the Lord and decided to give up everything and be totally committed? Another example we're given is Ananias and Sapphira. This is in the early church when they had all things in common. Acts 5 and 1, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira's wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thy own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came in all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And you can see that the same thing happened to his wife. At the... Uh, Gave up a bunch. What'd they give up? 90%? 95%? I had uh, <laughs> a lady in the church, a uh, beautiful older lady, came up after a sermon and she said, uh, did I understand you to say that Ananias and Sapphira lost their life because they were holding back for the Lord? And I said, uh, well, they, she said, they lost their lives because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Lesson one, they will check you <laughs> on that stuff. And, she, and that's right. But why? Why were they lying to the Holy Spirit? They weren't totally committed, you see. They wanted to hold something back for themselves. <clears throat> Matthew 6 and 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. My Uncle Joe 
had a sermon towards the end of his life. Uh, he he, he kind of had the same thing Justin had, and he knew that he was going to be uh, going on to meet his reward pretty pretty quickly. And uh, one of his sermons, it, it struck me really hard because he said, uh, he said, some of the most miserable people that I know on this earth are Christians. You think about that? What he meant by that was this. A Christian that is trying to walk that fence. Okay? We walk that fence, or we walk on the we walk on the good side of that line, that imaginary line of good and evil. And then because we feel entitled for some reason, we step over that line willingly. Dip our toe in the things that God don't want us to do. Okay? And we try to live a dual life. Dual friendships and associations and entanglements. That's what he meant because that's what the Bible teaches. Brothers and sisters, there's, there's no fence there. <laughs> okay? There's no fence. That's something we create in our minds. There is what God wants us to do and what, what we're not supposed to do. And when we try to live that, that dual life, we're miserable. We're miserable. <clears throat> These are a few areas that I've struggled with in the past. Uh, and to, to tell you quite truthfully, I mean, when you get things straightened up in one area and you feel like you got it beat, something else pops up that you didn't know was there. And I think that's just life. It's part of the battle. Uh, attendance of services. <clears throat> there was a couple that uh, came to a meeting. They'd been showing up at several meetings uh, over a couple of year period of time there. But uh, the elder gentleman, he looked really, really bad, looked sick. And uh, he was asked, uh, or his wife was asked, uh, you know, how's your husband doing? Is he feeling all right? She said, yeah, he's just tired. He'd, uh, we've been to church 38 days in a row. You talk about feeling like a worm. And what these people had done is they took their vacation, and that's what they did. They just traveled around, went to meetings, visited other congregations. And you know what? They considered that reasonable service to the Lord. It was not unreasonable. You know, the Israelites, when they, came, uh, when they came into the promised land, they were commanded to sacrifice to God. And those sacrifices were the best of their flock. They're spotless. The best, the very best they had. But do you know over time, these people began to hold the Lord in contempt. And they began to sacrifice their blind and their lame, their worst. That's what they gave to the Lord. And you know what happened? The kingdom was taken from them. 
What we do sends a message to the Lord. It says something to, our, to the Lord. Hebrews 10 and 24, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What a benefit and what a blessing it is to gather together and worship. Participation in services. What does it say to the Lord when I stay up until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning on Saturday night and then I come in the service and I'm bobbing and weaving trying to stay awake? You know, it says something to the Lord. Every congregation, well, almost every congregation that I go to has at least one person, if not three or four or five, that it takes 15 minutes to get from the car to the seat. And do you know why it takes them that long? Because they're on canes or walkers or wheelchairs. And when they sit in the pews, it's not comfortable. It hurts. But you know what? They're going to be there. If they, if they're going to be here if they can be here. And you know what? They, they consider that reasonable service. Reasonable service. Laying by in store. <clears throat> what does it say to the Lord? When I take my wife out, now don't get me wrong, you men need to take your wife out to eat or do something special. I'm not throwing rocks at that. What does it say to the Lord when I go drop $100, $150 on taking my wife out on a Friday or Saturday night to enjoy time with each other? But when the offering plate is passed around, I drop a $5 bill in there. What does that say to the Lord about my priorities? Not much. Because you see, I believe I have the best job in the world. I get to travel around and talk to people about Jesus. So what does it say to the Lord when I, if I do something like that? It makes a statement about our priorities. 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. We make statements to the Lord by our actions. Work. Haven't had this problem in a long time, but I've been guilty of it before. <clears throat> Have you ever heard someone described as a person that's cheerful in all weathers. You ever worked with somebody like that? It's a pleasure, isn't it? They're, they're great teammates. They just love coming to work and doing their job. But what, what does it say to people in the world that we work with when we don't do that? When we don't perform like that? Ephesians 6 and 5 Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, which fear with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as man-pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, 
with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not unto men. We're working for the Lord. We're not working for Mr. Jones or whoever, whoever the boss is. It's unto the Lord. Everything we do is unto the Lord. As a matter of fact, our number one job should be servants of the Lord. Had a brother, he's passed on now, was in a nursing home the last couple of years of his life, couldn't walk, could barely feed himself. Okay? But he had two young ladies taking care of him. It's right up the street here. Two young ladies, one at night, one during the day, nurses. <clears throat> Do you know he talked to those ladies about God, about the gospel? One of those ladies obeyed the gospel, okay? Right there in that home. The man did not have control of his limbs anymore. He could barely set up. But you know what? He had his heart and he had his mind. And he put it to work for the Lord. Consider that his reasonable service. Reasonable service. What about our leisure time? Uh, you know, <clears throat> I'm not not, well, I used to say this, I'm not knocking TV, but it's hard to say that now. Not downplaying entertainment. There's entertainment that's not, that's not evil. Uh, we have to use our discretion on that. But I have a challenge for you. This is one that got me. It was suggested to me, and I did it. Woke me up. Go home, pick up your TV remote. Pick up your smart device, your smartphone, or your iPad, or whatever you use. Look at it. Are those numbers worn off? Are there fingerprints all over the face of that touch screen? Then, go pick up the Bible and run your finger across the cover. Is it covered in dust? That's an eye-opener. That's a wake-up call to me. Okay? 2 Timothy 2 and 15. Study, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How are we to know the word of truth if we don't read it? I, I'm sorry... Most of these little stories I got are about uh, people that have been Christians for many years. They're old people. But I'm going to tell you something. It says something about a life in Christ. Went to visit another older man in, in a nursing home. Asked him, what have you been doing? What have you been doing with your time? He said, well, I read the Bible. Where have you been reading? He said, I read the New Testament. Where in the New Testament? He said, I read the New Testament every week. I study it every week, the New Testament. You talk about feeling like a worm. He, he considered that his reasonable service, part of his reasonable service. That was not unreasonable to him. 
What about our speech? I don't think that we probably struggle a lot with saying things we shouldn't say. I think sometimes we slip up. I know I do say things that I shouldn't say. But just as importantly, what do we not say? What do we not speak to people about in the world? Not only with our mouths, but with, with our actions. What does that say? It's very important as disciples of Christ to let the world see us. Let, the, let, let them see Christ shining in us. Ephesians 4 and 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to those of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Had a did a men's, uh, I don't even know what you want to call it, I guess we would call it a study, but the guys that run it are not specifically uh, what you would call Christian men, but these men get together and usually some things out of the Bible are talked about, and uh, went to one of these deals, and there was 30, 35 uh, men there, and I was talking to one guy and, and uh, having a real good conversation. He was talking about having a meeting and uh, was really excited about it. And as I was leaving, another fellow grabbed my shoulder. And he said, uh, can I speak with you for a minute? He said, uh, I want you to come listen to this. So we walked around the corner and the same guy that I was speaking with before was standing there cussing out another fella in the parking lot. Okay? The sad thing about that was is the guy that led me over there by the shoulder to listen to this other guy was not a Christian. But yet the man that was doing this was. What does our speech say to those around us? those we should be influencing in a Christian way. Matthew 13 and 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in the field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. He didn't sell part of what he had. He sold it all. Brothers and sisters, we have the pearl of great price. The pearl of great price. And God demands 100% of us. Yeah, he's a demanding God. But you know what else that says to us? That's how much he loves us. That's how much he values us. He gave his only begotten son. That's how much we're valued. Uh, this has quickly become one of my favorite scriptures. Jeremiah 12 and 5. If thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? 
And if in the land of peace wherein thou trustest they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? If we don't have our commitment to, to Christ and God right now, what's it going to be when it gets tough? How's it going to be when times really get tough? They've gotten tougher lately, haven't they? With restrictions and some of the things that have come down the pipe uh, in regards to uh, the troubles in this country. Uh, there's two or three things going on now. Things are getting a little tighter. What's it going to be like if we don't have our house in order now? If we're tired walking with the footman, what's it going to be like when the horses show up? If we're tired now in the land of peace, what's it going to be like when the Jordan floods? You know what happened when the Jordan flooded? Crocodiles and lions came out of the, the rushes and the weeds and wreaked havoc on man and beast. We need to get our house in order. Paul speaks about it, 2 Corinthians 11 and 24. <clears throat> of the Jews, five times received thy forty stripes, save one. And uh, what I've gathered from that is, is the reason you couldn't have more stripes than that is because usually it killed a man. Of the Jews, five times received thy forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings, in hunger and thirst, and fasting often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of of the churches. I've, I've, I've suffered some bad things in my life. I've been to some bad places. Some of the worst. I'm going to tell you something. I've never suffered any of that. Never. You can see I don't miss many meals. Okay. Paul counted that as not because of the pearl of great price. He was committed he had the strength to carry on through those hardships. Not only that, those hardships increased his faith. He counted it as a blessing. <clears throat> I had a grandmother that used to write me every week. Uh, I, was, uh, I was away from society for better part of 17 years and she'd write me every week and she would say Jimmy you better hurry up and come home because I'm ready to go be with the Lord I don't know why he's keeping me here but I'm, I'm ready to go y'all might have known her her name was Anna Dukes beautiful lady about 4 foot 11 <laughs> hug you like a bear You all know people like that. 
that when they left this world, they didn't have an ounce of fear in their body. They were longing to be in Abraham's bosom. How sweet would that be to have that level of commitment and assurance in our future? What a brother in Christ that uh, came back to the Lord. He'd been out of service for, oh, I don't know, 25, 30 years. Came back and he'd, he'd sat about five rows back. He would listen to the service attentively, uh, pray, uh, would sing songs, but he would not partake of the Lord's Supper. There in Wheeler. Now he's related to about 70 people out of the 115 or 20 people, and all of them are worried. Why are you doing this? He keeps doing it. Well, after a time, period of time, uh, an elder and a couple of deacons uh, went over to visit with him. And uh, asked him, said, Bob, you... We don't understand why are you not partaking of the Lord's Supper? Why are you not commemorating the Savior's death? You know what he said? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Well, the fellow that was there said, Brother, ain't none of us worthy. None of us are worthy. He said, uh, Every time the invitation's given, I know I need to go come to the front and get right with God. He said, but I'm too much of a coward to do it. Man, 6'4", 300 pounds. I've seen him lift a whole rack of uh, tractor weights off the front of an Alice Chalmers and set it on a table. I'm too much of a coward to do it. You know what that elder said? He said, the aisle's right here. Right there in the living room. I'm going to tell you something. From that day forward, that man led songs. He led prayers. He commemorated the Lord's Supper every time we, every time we remembered it. Very faithful man. Had a huge impact on the community. It was almost uh, like that story of the Scrooge, the Christmas Carol. It's one of them type deals, you know, redemption story. But this is real life. He had an effect upon everybody around him. Okay? For years, he had a heart attack. Went to take him to the chopper pad there in Wheeler. He was asked, are you hurting? He said, no, nah, I'm not hurting too bad. He said, I'll tell you something else. I'm not afraid. He said, I'm ready. I'm ready. Packed church house at his funeral. You know what? Best funeral I ever preached. Best funeral I ever attended. You know what? Because we were just saying bye for a little while. Because we look forward, uh, Lord willing, to seeing him once again. Each and every one of you knows somebody like that. And I pray that you're just like those individuals. That you have that confidence. 
2 Timothy 4 and 7. Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Total commitment. All in. That's what the Lord demands of us, and it's a blessing. Please get out your songbooks. If you are here this morning and you have not confessed your sins and been buried in baptism, been washed by the blood of the Savior, you do not even have a stake in the game. I hate to be blunt like that, but I don't know any other way to be on this. If you are not washed by the blood of Christ, you do not even have, you, you have resigned yourself to failure. God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the unrighteous. He, is, he wants everyone to come unto him. You can change that today. All you got to do is humble yourself before the Lord. If you're here this morning and something is standing between you and the Lord, if you're having a hard time concentrating when we sing hymns, if you're having a hard time keeping your mind on what Christ has done for us, if something is standing between you and the Lord, take care of it. Change. Everything unto the Lord. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. And we're not here to embarrass anybody. We're not here to, to add notches on our gun belt, so to speak. That's not what this is about. Okay? We're here to support one another. Because if I've got each and every one of you pulling for me to get to heaven, I got a better chance, and vice versa. So if you feel a need this morning, please come forward and have a seat on the front row as we stand and sing. <clears throat>